0: Father, we have worshipped you through baptism, through singing songs, through giving of tithes and offerings. And now we seek to worship you, Father, through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. Father, I know that the messenger is insufficient, but I know that your message is perfect. And so, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you move in this room through the perfection of your word to teach us? to help us to grow closer to you, to give us strength to face the trials and the challenges that may come our way this week. Father, many of us need to be convicted of our sin. Many of us need to be challenged from our apathy and our laziness. Lord, many of us need to be comforted. Many of us need to be encouraged. And God, all of this is possible through your word. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us would you move in these moments? And we ask all this in the precious name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Matt, I, I hate to do this to you, brother, but I, I don't know. Is, is this sounding weird out there to y'all? It's like blowing me away up here. Should I just use the pulpit mic this morning? Because I'm loud on my own. And right now I feel like y'all going to go deaf. Ooh, is that better? Y'all feel better? I feel better. Ooh. Hello. All right. We'll just go this way. I like this route. See, there we go. I was afraid. I I was having to dial down my voice. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to take it and turn about midway through your Bible or scroll midway through your Bible app, however you're accessing the word of the Lord, to the book of Psalms. We are continuing our summer in the Psalms. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. We're going to read both chapters in their entirety. But don't get too freaked out. We are only looking at about 16 verses, so it'll be okay. We won't have to stand that long. But whether you're following along on the screens or on an app or in an actual book with pages, however you might be accessing the word of the Lord, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? And I'll read for us this morning. We'll read all of Psalm 42 and then Psalm 43. When I've completed the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for God's word, please respond at that time with thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Psalm 42 and 43. The word of the Lord says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, we we come to the Psalms. Again this morning, and we've, we've looked at Psalm 90, talking about being satisfied with the love of God, making God our home, our dwelling place. We've talked about Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the path of the wicked man, the path of the righteous man. We come now to Psalm 42 and 43, and very rarely are Psalm 42 and 43 taken separate from one another. But what we have at the top of Psalm 42 is one of these titles that appear in front of a lot of Psalms. Now, while I don't believe that these titles aren't necessarily on the same level as Scripture, they are true and they are trustworthy. There's some people that would tell you that these titles were added thousands of years later. We have no idea who wrote these Psalms. That's, That's not true. That's not accurate. These titles are accurate. And this one begins and it really sets the stage for Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. It says, to the choir master, it says, a maskil of the sons of Korah. And knowing that this is a psalm written by the sons of Korah changes everything about this psalm. We, we actually have a lot of different authors of the psalms. We took about a thousand-year period for the psalms to be written. David wrote about 75 of the psalms that we know about. Asaph and his family wrote about 12 different psalms. The sons of Korah wrote 12 psalms. One of those, they were working in conjunction with a guy that was called Heyman. That's one of my favorite names in the Bible because I just imagine if they lived in our time, can't you just see, Hey, man. How you doing? It's just such an easy name. It's like buddy, you know. Hey, buddy, how you doing? So we have Haman and the sons of Korah working together. You have Solomon who writes two different psalms. You have Moses who writes one psalm that we know of. You have another psalm written by a guy named Ethan, the Ezraite. And then you have 48 that are anonymous. So the author of the psalm, the circumstance in which the psalm was written affects greatly how we interpret that scripture in that psalm, right? When we go to Psalm 51, we know that based off the title, this is a psalm that David writes and prays after he is caught doing all the wickedness involved with Uriah and Bathsheba. Psalm 51, the setting of it is David repenting and praying to God for forgiveness, That changes everything about how we approach that psalm. That's part of the reason we use that psalm before we take the Lord's Supper here at Bethany. We always read through those first 12 verses as an act of confession, as an act of laying ourselves bare before the Lord the same way that David did after he was caught in the midst of sin. Well, the sons of Korah have an interesting story and an interesting history And all of that affects how we read this psalm. So I I want us to take a little trip through history. If you want to turn there in your Bible, there's just too much for us to try and read all of it this morning. But this story takes place in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, we know that the Exodus has already occurred, correct? They have left Egypt. God has delivered the Israelites. And Moses is attempting to lead the Israelites through the wilderness and to the promised land. And in the book of Numbers is when they start to really get their act together as to how they're going to function as a people. God gives the commandments. They're already in rebellion. They've already been restored. And now we have to set up how are we going to function? And so there's one particular tribe that is not given a portion in the land. There's this tribe of, of Levi. And Levi has three sons he has Merari, he has Gershon. And he has Kohath. Now, I know that those are very Hebrew-y names, but in that time, it would be just as plain as Tom and Bob and, you know, somebody else named William. Just simple, easy names that we have today. Merari, Gershon, and Kohath. Now, the Kohathites had a very specific job as they traveled through the wilderness. It was their job to carry all the heavy stuff. Now, you've got to remember, Moses and Aaron were born of a Levite. And they are the ones who are the priests. That's a separate category over here. They're the ones who actually deal with the bread of the presence. They're the ones who actually touch the holy things. They are the priests. The Kohathites, on the other hand, are the ones who were assigned to carry everything once the priests got it ready. So everybody else has a decently easy job, but the Kohathites have a pretty arduous and difficult job. Well, this guy named Korah, he gets together with about 250 other families, and they go in together and go up in rebellion against Moses. And they say, Moses, you have designated Aaron as the one who can touch the holy things, but God has said that any of us can be priests. It is not fair, and it is not right that we are also sons of Levi, and we don't get to participate in the acts of worship as priests. Well, and... You know, aside from the fact that God's the one that dictated who's going to do what, they might have a good case. They might want to redistribute the labor and make it more fair. But this is exactly how God told Moses to distribute the workload. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a purpose. All you got to do is carry the ark. That's all you got. You just put the poles on your shoulders and carry it. You just don't touch the holy things. And if you do touch the holy things, you're going to die. They think that Moses... He's tricking them. They think that Moses has lied to them. And so they come before Moses and they say, we will lead the people. And Moses says, all right, fine. Here's what you do. You go get all your censers. You burn incense in your censers. You bring them back. And they stand before Moses. Moses says, let the Lord decide who is in the right. If all of these men that are gathered before me here today die of natural causes, old age, in their lives, live out full lives with no problems, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was in the wrong, says Moses. But if the Lord God is on my side and I've told you rightly and justly and fairly exactly what God told me, then the Lord's going to open up the earth and all of these people are going to be swallowed up into the depths of the earth. And so, instantaneously, there is an earthquake that swallows only those who are in rebellion. Abiram and Dathan and Korah and their households, their belongings. And the earthquake opens up just enough to swallow them. And then fire proceeds from the altar and consumes everybody else who was a part of their little rebellion. So, I think it's safe to say Moses was in the right, wasn't he? The sons of Korah were very much in the wrong. But then why is Psalm 42 written by the sons of Korah, right? Like, these were the rebels. These were the people who were against Moses, who got swallowed up into the earth. How did anybody survive? Well, there's actually a, a great story of redemption for the Korahites. If you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 26. I don't know, our screens are being goofy on us this morning. Technology does not like to work. When the word of the Lord is being preached, or the devil likes to work in the technology and all the things that go on in that booth back there, we got great guys doing a great job, but maybe they won't be on the screen. If you have your own Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the front of the in the back of the pew that's right there in front of you. You can borrow one of those. Now, for anyone who likes to read all the way through their Bible every year, and you get to Numbers, or you get to the book of Ezra. And God just starts listing people and counting people. If you're anything like me, you have a hard time, right? It's difficult to just, and there were this many Reubenites, and there were this many Levites, and there were this many of the house of Issachar. It gets challenging. But I want you to know every time I feel that way, the Lord shows me something else in those numbers and in that counting. And praise God we serve a Lord who likes to keep up with names and keep up with the number of his children. He begins in verse 4 of chapter 26. The Lord speaks to Moses and says, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward. As the Lord commanded Moses, the people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Reuben, Hanak, the clan of the Hanakites, of Palu, the clan of the Paluites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, Of Carmi, the clan of the Carmites. These are the clans of the Reubenites. And those listed were 43,730. And the sons of Palu, Eliab. The sons of Eliab, Nimuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember earlier I said Dathan and Abiram were part of that rebellion. They were swallowed up by the earth. These are the Dathan and Abiram chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah. When they contended against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning. Verse 11. But the sons of Korah did not die. The sons of Korah did not die. We serve a God who is a God of redemption. We serve a God who is a God of second chances. God spared the children so that the sons of Korah could go on to be used by God in other ways. And so I just want you to hear as we're learning the background of the Korahites this morning, that even if you're one of the people who rebelled against God, there is still hope. ...for your family. Even if you're part of a family where there's been a cycle of abuse and there's been a cycle of neglect and destructive decisions, there is hope for redemption for you and your family. Because the sons of Korah go from being the children of one of the most rebellious people against Moses to being people who write the Psalms we're reading this morning. If you follow their lineage and then you look in 1 Chronicles and you look in 1 Samuel, you find out that the prophet Samuel is from the lineage and the lining of the sons of Korah the prophet Samuel if God devours all the rest of the sons of Korah and doesn't spare them and offer them a chance at redemption we don't have first and second Samuel we don't have a prophet to go and anoint David the sons of Korah worked close at hand with David when Psalm 42 is written is probably written Psalm 42 and 43, written by the sons of Korah as they are outcast from the land of Israel. This is the enemies of Saul, the enemies of David, who are with Saul and with those in Gath. This is the people who fought alongside David trying to get home. This is his psalm. This is what he writes in exile. This is what he writes as he stands on the other side of the Jordan, hoping to go home, hoping to go and worship. And he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And I I know that Jason has led us in worship beautifully this morning. And that song, nothing else. I know last week we talked about being satisfied in God, but this is different And being satisfied, this is a yearning. This is a longing. These are the sons of Korah who continued to help in the temple. They continued to take care of the tabernacle and do the arduous task. They're fighting alongside David and they can't do their worship. They can't take care of the tabernacle. They can't lead the people in procession. I remember when I would lead the throng out and these were the ones who sang the songs and led the people in worship. And they yearn to worship God again. They long and thirst and crave to worship God again. And you know what I think I've seen happen in our society? Here in Covington County and in the United States at large? Really in the church all across the United States. As people lacked their ability to worship corporately. Like the psalmists the son of Korah, who's writing. Instead of yearning and longing to get back to worshiping the Lord, there's a huge section of our society that used to be a part of our worship. And they realized, you know what? They're not really that thirsty. They're not like a deer who's panting after streams of flowing water. Even those of us who still attend our attendance has grown less and less regular. We've gotten more and more comfortable not gathering together to worship the Lord. And the sons of Korah, they were the ones who had the hardest job packing up and carrying all the stuff without having to touch it. They had to wait for the priests to cover it with goatskins, skins, then carry it to the next spot. They were the ones who put the tent up and tore the tent down, but they never got to go and experience the presence of God. They were never the ones in the midst of the cloud that was reserved for Moses and Aaron. They never were the ones who got to stand in the midst of the congregation and get goosebumps from the Holy Spirit moving upon them. They were the ones who were the hard workers nailing tent posts into the ground outside so the rest of the congregation could worship. And they were miserable outside the land of Israel in exile with David. They write this psalm, my soul is cast down because I can't go worship God. And there's plenty of times in my life that my soul gets cast down. That I become downtrodden, that I get desperate or get depressed. But seldom can I say that it's because I miss worshiping. That I miss being in corporate worship. How many of us does this describe you? When you're absent from the congregation. If you go on vacation if you hook up your camper and go on a trip you go see your grandkids. If you go out of town for you know some sort of travel ball or some sort of meet or competition or something like that. While you're there are you yearning for the congregation of the Lord? Are you yearning to be back in this place? Are you yearning to sit and be fed or are you yearning to serve? That's That's what the sons of Korah were yearning to do. They were yearning to work again, to work hard. Nobody came to them and said, Hey guys, did y'all like the service? Did you enjoy the song selection? They don't know. They were too busy putting a tent together. They were too busy carrying the ark everywhere it had to go. They were too busy getting the staffs and putting them in and doing all the things. They were too busy running the sound and the screens and the live stream. They were too busy collecting the offering. They were too busy tallying the ballots and the votes. They were too busy visiting the widows and the orphans. That was their service. That was their worship. And they missed it so much so that they felt like deer who were dying of thirst. I need a stream. And don't miss the connection to Psalm 1. That the tree planted by the stream has plenty of nourishment. The deer that lives by the stream has plenty of nourishment. The son of Korah who worships at the feet of the altar has plenty of nourishment. The son or daughter of God here today who worships at the feet of Jesus has plenty of nourishment. He's mad. He's depressed. He's outcast. And he's raw and real with God. He kind of separates himself from his soul and he's raw and real with his own soul. What's your problem? Have you ever had to give yourself a pep talk? That's what's happening in this psalm. He's looking at himself in the mirror. He shined up his shield, right? And he's looking at himself like, what's wrong with you? Hope in God. He's going to bring us back. It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But do we feel that way for the right reason? And then the most incredible thing of this whole psalm set to me is when we get down here, and in verse 7, read with me. He says, deep calls to deep. The roar of your waterfalls. Deep calls to deep. Do we grasp the significance of one of the sons of Korah, whose great great granddaddy and all those rebels were swallowed up into the depths, writing to God and saying, The deep calls to the deep, and all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me? This man. Who lost all his family and all his ancestors to the depths. Says the deep calls out to deep. He takes the greatest wound, the greatest scar in his family history. And he turns that and offers it to the Lord. The deep calls out to the deep. The depths of his soul call out to the depths of the goodness of God. From the depths there is redemption. And he says, deep calls to deep. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. He says to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Folks, is this you today? Are you in one of those seasons of life where deep calls to deep? And you're feeling the greatest hurts and the greatest scars from your life and from your family's history. Hope in God. He is our rock. He is our salvation. And if you are desperate and you are at the end of your rope and you're yearning to hear from Him, it's what Job did. It's what the sons of Korah did. Go to God. Lay it bare before Him. Lay it bare how you feel and trust that the Lord will show up. The Lord will speak to you. The Lord will move in your life and in your heart. If your soul is cast down, if you feel the deep calling to the deep, then reach into the depths of your soul and look for the depths of the goodness of God and ask for His sustenance. Yearn for and long for and desire to worship Him. Tell your own soul, hey, hope in God. He's our salvation. He's our rock. Why are you cast down, on oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him, my God and my salvation. Folks, sometimes you just got to give yourself a pep talk. Why are you cast down, soul? My life is not as bad as I'm making it out to be. Things are not as rough as they may seem. I have a God who has overcome the world. The greatest connection to the depths that there is in this psalm is not just that the sons of Korah are writing about their great-granddaddy who was swallowed up in the depths, but about the very Son of God who came and went into the depths for us. He descended to earth. He took our death on the cross. He descended into the earth, and then He was raised on the third day. If your soul is cast down, if you are in a season of drought and doubt and depression and heartache, talk to your soul and say there is hope because Friday seemed pretty hopeless, but Sunday was on the way. And you might be sitting in that pew today and you might be thinking that it is Friday. It is dark and there is no good. There is nothing. But maybe that darkness is because we've been yearning for the wrong thing. Look to Sunday. Look to Jesus' resurrection Look to the One who overcame death to take you and overcome this world and overcome the sorrows and overcome the heartache and tell your soul, let's hope in God. He is our salvation. As the deer pants for the stream, are we panting for, yearning for God? Are we calling out to Him Are we telling our own soul, no, 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 we're not going to feel this way. Hope in God. He's our rock. He's our salvation. Is he your rock this morning? Is he your salvation?